welcome, and thank you for joining the Unbiased Label Podcast with your host, Zara Karutz. On this podcast, we have real talk meant to inspire with thought-provoking conversation at the intersection of industry and academia focused on fashion and culture. This episode is a conversation with Terence Ayuk Eben, who goes by T. He is founder of the Never Fade Factory, a futurist underground fashion brand showroom based in Soho, London. The ethos of the Never Fade Factory is to incubate and accelerate emerging talent by providing free workspace and commercial opportunity to showcase their arts. Please join us for an on-location recorded conversation that took place on a sunny Saturday afternoon in the shop window of the Never Fade Factory. On this day, a textile student from Chelsea College of Art and Design is working on a dress designed and made from recycled materials that resemble gorgeous flowers of a white shade. As the streets are filled with crowds and people enter the storefront, you will hear the buzzing as T and I discuss the journey of being the only Black-owned business in Soho and examine fashion from a zeitgeist underground point of view. Do enjoy. We're in Soho. Yes. How are you today? I'm feeling great. Uh, there's a lot to be grateful for. So you opened your factory when? started constructing the brand in November of 2016, but in a physical location in January 2017 on Brewer Street in a much smaller, tighter space where it was just never fade. We had a workshop in the basement and we let young creatives come and express themselves there. Yeah. And after about a year at this location, experienced some success. We lost that space and found this location here on Old Compton Street. Which, as you can see, is a wonderful location for getting a message out. Well, you're in the heart of it. In the heart of it, yes. Yes. So what's interesting about this space to me is that there's a lot going on. When I first came in, I was like, how do I process this? This is very unusual. Yeah. There's a lot of different components. Correct. It's a hub of sorts. Correct. Yeah. And it's really an incubator of creativity. Correct. Yeah. Which I think is unusual. Well, it's been unusual up till now, but there's every indication that most spaces that want to perform retail activity will have to go in this direction of being a bit more ambiguous, of being able to provide a composition of things in front of their customers. So it makes it more interactive. Because, the activations. Yeah, because yeah. we're used to going to one source online for everything. Right. And that's sort of habit it seems to be influencing consumer behavior where the consumer doesn't mind having everything in one place their doctor their beauty their food their exercise their whatever clothes etc etc all in one serve it up all in the same place in a cool way yeah and i don't mind whereas before what we had done 
with the word, say, department store, is mm -hmm. we uh, try to compartmentalize it. Mm -hmm. So shoes stays with shoes, mm -hmm. dresses stay with dresses, clothes stay with clothes. With this sort of stimulation from online behavior, I think consumers are quite adapted to the idea that facilitation could all happen in one platform. Yeah, but the, the idea of a concept store isn't new. I mean, that's no. turn of the century, I would say, is when it sort of became branded or known as a concept store, lifestyle yes. and integration Correct. and experience. Yes. So I think you fall under this notion of a concept store. Correct. But it, to me, it's more than that. Yes. If we go back to the notion of a concept store, it's still yeah. curated. Yes. It's still commercialized and yes. put together in this shiny package. Yes. Where you're getting an experience. Yes. But yes. it's very, what's the word I'm looking it's for? still stiff. Yeah. Most concept stores are still stiff because they do try to keep the chain of supply away from the products. Most concept stores are still not about the process. And what you're seeing here is a space where the process is a lot more important and in your face than right. the product. Right, the creative process. The creative process. And then you can also see some authenticity in that even if you look around, it's really not that finished. No, so I was just going to say it's messy. Yes, in this it's really messy. raw way. Yes, yes, raw. yes. And, and, and this is all intentional. I can, I, we can make it a bit more tidier in this, but what is the point? There's plenty of tidy. Go to the tidy places. There are lots right. of them here. I think there's something for everyone, okay? That's right. And I think the tidy thing has had its time. It still has its time. Yeah. But there are just more people now that are just so much more relaxed about their attitude to life. Yeah. Relaxed about their attitude to commerce. Relaxed about their attitude to a space like this mm -hmm. where they walk in and they might have been offended if they walked in a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I yes, I did used to have that. I used to see many times people walk in and just make a, an immediate U-turn at the door. But, you know, I, you find that that's less and less. Now you find people actually want to walk through the rails one by one, touch things, feel things. You know, T, we're living in this filtered... Yes. You know, a superficial in the way that it's not real at all. In yes. this Instagram world, you know. Yeah. You don't know what's real. Yes. So this organic, tactile, comfortable feeling where you can just engage yes. in a rawness yes. is almost, I think, trendsetting. That's very yeah. zeitgeist, I would say. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's the idea. Because you, you're not being forced a message. The message is for you to discover. Correct. Yeah. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And this is, this is what we've always gone for. We're, I mean, I think for the people especially in the creative industries who like the place, come in and spend time. Well, and, I mean, if you think about it, you yeah. know, this whole sort of idea of where fashion starts yes. and being underground almost yes. is the heart of what fashion is really about. Correct. And so I think that took place years ago, Yeah. I mean, especially in the 70s. That, yes. that was a huge in New York and yeah. London. Correct. I mean, Correct. there's these hubs of creativity where... It was just working in these obscure yeah. places. Yeah. And yeah. we sort of lost that, I yes. think, along the way. Yes. It moved out. It still existed. It moved out to cheaper areas. And those cheaper areas are usually not going to be the center. And this is part of the austere of this space. Right. Is that this game I'm playing here should not be played here no. because it's too expensive to be playing this game here. That's right. And, and that's why Clapper, the gentleman that was in here earlier, was like, you know, this is what he was talking about, even though he was maybe not as detailed but I know because we've had this right. conversation, he's about 67. So he's been around so in the days when the Rastafari, for example, used to run the street, as in they had reggae shops and reggae clothing kind of stores oh. around here. 
has seen in those days from when they got chased out because the rents went really high. Yeah. So all that stuff has moved to the periphery. So for him, the level of respect he has for me, it's beyond enormous because he's been here for 40 years and seen how it got gentrified right. to the point where my skin color for sure would not be able to right. afford anything. I'm the only black owner and so there's no other. I'm the only one. Right. And so that that sort of relax and all those raw blah blah blah, those things still exist, but they don't nobody plays it here in Seoul. Go to Brixton and, and do it. Right. right. Go do it in Hackney. Right. Go do it in at best. Go do it in shortage. Right. In Soho, no. Because in Seoul all over, these are the places that can accommodate that kind of thing. Well, this is a premium you know, rent district. Yes. You you're yeah. what you're generating. So um, how can you do it? Well, I um you know, I think the first bit is the experience of having been part of startup companies before, you know, back in the U.S., especially when hip-hop and streetwear just started. So that tenacity is built into me of seeing how you just keep hitting your head on a wall, but at some point you break the wall with your head. Here's uh, the hoping. Yeah, that's the first instance. And the second instance is that it took me time to start this. I didn't just jump into it. I moved to London from America, knowing that I wanted to be a bridge between Europe and America, between Africa and Europe and yeah. between Africa and America. It's, it was a slow orchestration of a vision that I had. So you're originally um, from Africa? Yes, from Cameroon. Right. Yeah. And then you went to DC? To DC, yes. And then from DC to London? To London, yeah. So I'm like you without the African connection. Yeah. DC to London. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a journey. You progress, you yes. grow. It puts you in a position to be ready to take it. Yes. It didn't just happen in the sense, you know, you're talking about 20 years of, of let's say, a bit of at least mind journey, fighting with myself inside. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Yeah. Should I destroy my acupuncture career? Should I just focus on acupuncture where I can earn 150, 200,000 pounds a year? Yeah. Live heavily after after. I know. Or should I throw myself in this situation? I mean, like the things are a lot, but then when you look and then you're just still here, even that nonsense that's going on, you must appreciate it. Yeah. Because you can also not have the nonsense and then not have the place at all. But I have the nonsense with the place and it's okay because I have the place. So fuck the nonsense. And that's kind of how I look at it. The young lady just walked in also has a podcast and she's actually looking to re record in here as well. Oh, that's great. Uh, and do some community events, especially with the BAME community yeah. in the space over the next few months. But it's those kind of things which enables these kind of spaces to survive, to be continuously community-minded. Because within those communities that you're building, you would have the possibility to get some better inroads to the corporate sector. And it's the corporate sector's marriage with the underground now. That's the new formula for raising capital for business like this, who you don't want to be bought out by equity because the equity guy just comes and then makes you exactly in the way that we're saying we don't want to go. Because the equity guy comes in the first one and says, the floors are dirty. That's why you're not making money. And go fuck yourself. Yeah. It's not making money because it's not brands that are known. It's unknown brands. And I want to save those unknown brands. I want to give them a chance. It's a matter of continuously building a community so much that you build momentum that without paying a PR firm, the word of what you're doing spreads out so much. Organic. Organically that you drum up business. That's right. And, right. and so for this reason, you're better off trying to form relationships with the corporate sector that are more along the lines of sponsorship partnerships, uh, yeah. partnerships than trying to take your business proposal out there and go to a venture capital firm and say, hey, if you give me 
half a million, I will give you 60% of my company. The minute you do that, you'll grow from this money very likely, especially if you're if a good equity company, but yeah. you will not be able to do this anymore. This luxury will be gone. So who is your community? Community here, or first organic community, is it's quite a lot of kids that I met four years ago when we started. They're from the ages of 12 and up. And young people who just hang, hung around Soho because of Supreme, because of all the other street style around here. And then over the years, it's been students who go to LCFs and Martins, Loughborough University, Winchester, all the universities around here. Mm -hmm. That has been the core community. I show in this space because I think they feel very at home here. Yes. And you provide them a space to work and yes. showcase. Correct. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, I, you know, at some point when I was in my first store, I realized that having the space and just opening the doors at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. and closing it at 7 p.m. was such a waste because mm. it's space, right? Mm -hmm. And you're always going to have some people that would love to use that space beyond those times when you're open and closed. But how do you do that without leaving yourself open to security issues, etc.? So then my initial solution was to let in young people come in especially after store hours and paint and do things on my sewing machines. And so the community grew organically in terms of the reputation that, oh, there's this guy called T, he owns this place in Seoul. You can go there and use his machines for free. He won't charge you. You can go and co-make things with him and he'll put it on the shop floor. Literally, the word just grew like that. Yeah. And again, because we have been going on a very slow process journey, we're only now arriving at a stage where I'm looking at strategic partnerships with lecturers from LCF lecturers from other universities east london fashion program yeah i saw where, that tell me about these partnerships well all these institutions are also pivoting post-pandemic after, yeah. after realizing that the new education format uh is actually skills and knowledge transfer makes more sense yep and so all these institutions will have to do a better job of, of partnering with platforms incubators that are delivering experiences in a way that they in the universities try to do workshops because the workshops that they do in universities to teach are usually limited because it's not as interactive. They want it to be safe. But in the process of making it safe, you're also not giving these students the real opportunity. That's why things yeah. like um, this, what do they call this show Donald Trump was on? The, the Apprentice. Apprentice. That's why these kind of shows became popular. Because at the end of the day, you're not just setting aside a project. But right. the project has a significance. It can actually lead to something. Yeah. And that's exactly what I am. Yeah, I have projects all the time, but the final product of whatever project we're doing is one that has commercial implications, whether it's magazine, TV, drone flying, sewing clothes, whatever we do here is directly linked into something that has actual world significance. It has commercial value yes, because you are a commercial space correct. It's in not, Soho. Correct. And so yeah. therefore, all these universities will want to pivot in this direction. Partnerships are the future. Yes. Bar none. I definitely would not have the space in Soho or have had the audacity in terms of trying to be a very social impact-based company if I had not mm. been going to the World Economic Forum every year. The World Economic Forum changed my game completely. How so? And what is that? The World Economic Forum takes place in Davos, in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And it's similar to these platforms like g7 g8 where you basically have world leaders sit in think tank for a week oh wow so all the industries interacting with each other and each industry would have a house like there's an oil house for say oil russian companies right and therefore 
the minister of oil and a few representatives of government from the oil from the Russian government will be there. They pay Davos, the Royal Economic Forum platform, 250,000 in order to have their government there. If their president is coming and more companies, that amount increases. So you have to register with World Economic Forum. And the founders are based in Davos. That's why they chose it to be there, Davos Platz. How did you go? Because my mentor, David Ferguson, has been going to World Economic Forum for at least 15 years or more. Oh, wow. He is the author of a book called The Transhuman Code. He's also on the board for a foundation called Hobie, Hugh O'Brien Foundation, based in Chicago. And because he had had an interest in my activities in Africa with youth leadership, then that's how we linked up. And his intention for taking me to the World Economic Forum was that at some point, if the opportunity arose, he would want me to be a speaker about social impact as it pertains to Africa in particular. There's the link back to the origins. Yes. So, so interesting. So this is a thread. It's a thread. So by going to the World Economic Forum every year, and because there you have bright minds from all industries, from I'm oil, sure. from pharmacy, from tech, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Just by attending, I saw how the gravity of it switched from the oil industry and finance to tech. Because yeah. over the last six years I've been going, headlines just seem very finance oriented, very oil industry oriented. Yeah. And then the last two years, you can see the headlines, everything's about blockchain. Everything is about mainly tech things. And then yeah. guess what? The last year, just before coronavirus started, and this was the most stunning one, so in February 2020, it was all about well-being. So you have different houses. You have one house for marijuana, which is like people who are trying to push legislation in marijuana and therefore the companies that are into marijuana. You have the oil houses, so companies are into oil and they want to have organizations there about oil. You have the pharmaceutical guys, they'll have their house. And so people from all countries, especially the leading countries from school, they'll all be in that house chatting and see how they chart a way forward, how they solve the world problems while they're doing business because that's what that's right. what world economic forum prouds itself on is that unlike g7 g8 or these other platforms yeah. or world bank etc they are all for making money and they're all for encouraging systems that move the world forward with a 10-year view forward but they also want to see how they can bring more equality to the world this is their pride it makes sense because their founder i've just forgotten his full name swiss guy you can tell that he's this kind of person. He's made a lot of wealth, but he also cares about redistribution of that wealth or what can also be done good while you are making money. So he has a heart. He's a decent human being. Correct. Which so, is really rare when you get to people of certain levels of power and wealth. Yes. And so I would say that this platform, Welcome Forum, influenced Never Fade Factory in the sense that even though I started because I had a strength and background in knowing how to build fashion brands, I got even more confident about it because I could see that the way forward and the world was leaning towards bringing creativity more into the mainstream mm -hmm. and having a bit more connection between agriculture and fashion. And you could see that there was actually a business model developing in the world that was key based on social impact and partnerships. Partnerships was something that mm -hmm. was taking place in terms of social impact and conversations around social impact, the World Economic Forum, all the way five years ago when I was going. So I could see that it was not just something about it being a charity. It was something that would legitimately become a business model mm -hmm. to be a social impact organization. Mm -hmm. So to do good and make money at the same time. Yeah. Because the big banks and organizations like Goldman Sachs and you know Bain, et cetera, et cetera, were all trying to switch the way they did business based on the influence of the World Economic Forum to go in this direction. 
So they hold a lot of power. Yes, and authority. they do. Yes, they do. Every industry has industry leaders. Yes. Okay. And it's only normal that whoever the industry leader of that industry is form no more than 2% of that industry. Well, look at Bernard Arnault. That's He's correct. the third richest they, man in the world. Yes, they, so a guy like that would not go himself, but you will have people from his organizations there because he's invested in, what, over 80 companies? Yeah, right. A guy like him will go there maybe for one day, and not all of them. He'll go because there's also partying going on at Davos, right? Oh, you have right. some big parties where you have some heads of states and presidents at those parties to party, but it's also networking because you want to do some deals with them, so it's best to go to that party. I want to go to that party. Well, you have to get into Davos, and um, and you know that requires some networking, or you just pay. You can also just pay without the network. Well, it's it's about a hundred and some thousand. <laughs> yeah, or you can just pay. Well, you know. Yeah. But that I mean that makes sense. That's what the organizing is. That's what the collaboration. That's Education, what... knowledge transfer. What's happening it. there? It's knowledge transfer. By you being with top leaders from other industries, you're learning. But, you know, from that conversation right there, it takes this, what appears to be just random. Yes. And then it puts purpose and direction and and, and complete strategy behind it. Yes, there is. So that's interesting. Yes. And and this is why, you know, I... um, I get a lot of slack for the place being like this. And I'm like, don't worry about why it's like this. This is not your business. And I get in sometimes even from the creators. I've literally had to chuck out at least one person from the space because they were questioning me what I'm doing here. And I'm like, you have no idea. You've been nowhere. You've seen nothing. You have no clue. You're 24 years old. With all due respect to you and thinking that your generation or you guys are the coolest. You have no idea why I set up this place. So don't question me. Yeah, that, that's powerful. Don't question me. It's not, it's, it's not It's not random. No. It's, it's, it's taken me, it's been a 26-year journey. Not even 20. 26 years to arrive at this point in this space to be doing this. 26 years. I, my first and desire, ambition to start a clothing line happened 26 years ago. How so? And the time wasn't right. Well, at the time, I was, you know, I knew I'd been a creative all through my teenage years. And uh, so only naturally, even though I was academic studying biochemistry, I just still had an, a knack for wanting to create. Well, we all do, actually. Yeah. And I could not go in that direction, essentially, because at the end of the day, if I'd gone to tell my parents I went to study fashion, they would have been like, good luck. How good many luck other parents still I mean, so, my parents and, and I'm happy that they, they were like this, because yeah, I, I don't think it would have been the right thing to do, study fashion. My life would not be the same if the fashion I'd studied. Yeah. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. So from this point on, even though I knew I could not academically study fashion, in the back of my mind somewhere, I was like, you know what? One day I'm going to be involved in this thing somehow. Mm-hmm. And that happened 26 years ago. So that, the longing was in your heart. Yes. The desire was there. Yes. But the seed to fruition, yeah. it took time to germinate. Yes, it did. and you need to you need to go through this path in order yeah. to be ready, able, willing. Yes, or have the knowledge, relationships, yeah. and also the world. Yes, the world that we're living in right now. The World Economic Forum says it, but I, I agree with it. And, yeah. it's, and I think people are maybe struggling to accept yes. this new world. Yes, they are. I mean, I know I do. Well, in terms of consumerism. Yeah. But consumerism goes hand in hand with almost blindfolding. Right. It goes hand in hand. Right. Because for you to buy into consumerism must also mean that you're actually not seeing the bigger picture. Which is? The bigger picture is that you don't need much, really, uh, in life. You don't need to be drunk 
four or five times a day. You don't need to watch TV seven days a week. You really don't need to have all the things you're seeing on that TV ad because you're glued to that TV all oh, the time. Oh, right, right. Being told the message. Yes, yeah. you're being programmed. Yeah, yeah. And again, this is not conspiracy stuff. This is just commerce. This is life. I was and, in advertising for 10 years. It's yeah, advertising. Yeah, and and I think, you, you know, as humans, we have a choice. If we, as they say, but Marley say a rat race, if you want to be in the rat race or not, let's be honest, the wealthiest people in the UK right now are not sitting here. Where, where are they? In their country homes? Yeah. Somewhere, if they are in the UK, they're they at a beautiful country yeah, home. It doesn't by... have to be a 10 bedroom country home, but no. they're at some beautiful yeah. country home that has an amazing view and some fresh air yeah. and peace nature. They're by... definitely not on Old Compton Street boozing. I can tell you that much. <laughs> no. at, Three o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon, the Asperols and all these things. They're, they're definitely not here. Yeah. Uh, Fashion week is coming up. Yes, it sure is. And is this a new Fashion Week in June? No, traditionally June and January always carry the men's Fashion Weeks. In London. In London, and it started changing with time over the years. But February and September was the women's. Now, what is peculiar about this Fashion Week is that when the pandemic just kicked off and there was big sort of, in quotes, rethinking, reimagining. Right. The fashion uh, organization, British Fashion Council and BFC, all the fashion organizations in the different fashion capitals, mm -hmm. Milan, Paris, etc., all suggested, I will use the word because it's a legal term, suggested that they will reduce their fashion weeks to only one time a year. And to be honest, none of them are done so. No. So it was all just whitewash. Um, so yeah, this June it's men's fashion week, but they are not coining it as such as men's fashion week. It just says London fashion week. Right. Because it's supposed to be unified. Is it? So even if they won't reduce it all to one, then instead of having two separate men's and two separate women's, there'll be just two fashion weeks. And those two fashion weeks will be mixed with men's and women's. In June and September. Well, I can best believe that there's going to be another one in January next year because they're just talking out the left side out of their mouth. This is the yeah. truth. In order for them to stay relevant, they feel like they must have these fashion yes, weeks. And, right. um, and But there needs to be a different approach, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, just like social media has allowed for the democratization of, let's say, media and magazine publication. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't all run to corner stores anymore and buy magazines. True. Even things like Fashion Week, they like it or not, it's going to be more democratized because people who are at the bottom are tired of people at the top of trying to regulate everything yeah. and not control. let them in. Control. Gatekeepers. People are tired. People are tired. And the internet really allows for that democratization. And that's what i'm about here so i think you'll find more people will pop up of this persuasion who you know they legitimately want to change things and how do you engage with london fashion week i've always had uh workshops uh whether it's yoga meditation how to use cbd paint on clothes i think that this is so important i had yeah. a meditation yogi on yeah. my show yes and I think her question was, why do you want me on a fashion culture podcast? Yeah. And I said, well, clearly who you are on the inside is just as important as what you put on your body. 100%, yes. We have to look at the whole being. 100%, yes. To me, there's no definition from the inside to the outside. Yes. And that's not a trendy, buzzy no, thing. No, it shouldn't be. It's, it's a real thing. It's life. It's life. And that's why, you know, for me, that sort of engagement of well-being being dragged into a fashion week event 
is relevant. I, I did a significant one and there was like 500 people in here. And I had a mixture of CBD brands, well-being brands, as well as fashion brands all coexisting yeah. for one common purpose to, you know, to market and to build community spirit. And it worked out very well. Yeah, I bet it did. What about, I'm going to get the name wrong. What is it? Lablaco? Lablaco. Lablaco. Yeah. yeah the they, what's your connection swap. with them? Yeah. The Swapateria. Yes. My friend did a Swapateria in New York. Yes. And it's this new circular economy, blockchain. Yeah. Here, we're just helping them test the grounds because people are still not very familiar with the notion. It's a new technology, right? So swapping clothes is is a new thing for a lot of people. There are some people who have been swapping two, three, four years, meaning that either you do it in a physical location. So you bring your clothes you don't want anymore. You put them on a rail. You name them. You tag them. You price them. Put them in the system by registering them. And then someone else brings their clothes that they don't like anymore. They name them. They register them. They put them on the rail. In the physical form, you walk around. If you see something the same price as yours and that person's in accordance, you can swap directly. Yeah. Or if there's some money exchange difference between you can swap. But what their Lovelock was doing is doing it online so that it has a wider reach. So in our case, we are taking in garments from people who want to swap, registering them, tokenizing them, as they would say, giving it a code. NFT. Not NFT per se. This is blockchain backed, but it's but it's not. It's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not NFT. It's not. It doesn't have an NFT purpose. Let's just say it. Do, it doesn't have a its own number when you're tagging it. It's yes. just going into the system. It's going. It's okay. being registered into the system, and and this registration allows for if you want a tracking, to see the travel of the clothes. Also, that's also possible through this. But this is not what's pertinent. What's pertinent is that because it's going to be online. For the transactional part with someone else you want to see who it's going to etc cetera, etc cetera. if you want to get carbon credits because you know selling carbon credits these days is actually a thing what, what is that if you're doing anything in sustainability now they have ways in which they calculate what a carbon credit of a thing could be something that you don't throw away for example you put back into the system because you're saving carbon emissions by i've been saying this for years yeah. and finally it's happening yeah, it's happening I, i'm not as convincing with it as i should be but I have a very intelligent friend who's a consultant for Kenyan government. He's working on some things around carbon credits. Yeah. And I was like, T, you should be making money out of your ears because you're upcycling clothes. Right. And there's a way to get all that on carbon credits and sell yeah. it to banks and sell it to oil companies who need to buy carbon credits right. in order to be within their limits um, or their goals for carbon credit reduction. Yeah, because this is the thing, especially fashion, being a huge polluter of the world. Yeah. They've been able to hide and kind of hide behind, I want to say, ignorance. Yes. But that's only going to take them so far where they're going to be forced to really expose yeah. the industry and the practices. Yeah. And, I, you know, when you uplift that mysterious curtain of what's going on, I think people yeah. will be shocked. Yes. So might as well get it together now. Clean, Correct. Clean your closets. Correct. Paint your walls. Correct. The company is coming in. Correct. So, yeah, I... I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Interesting. How has that been working with them? It's beginning stages. And now in this, yeah, we're testing. And this fashion week, I will do my best to amplify it again by doing another swap, doing five days of clothes swapping. We're here? Yes. How do you partake in that? Well, people will be able to bring the clothes that they don't want, register it with us, sign up to Lab Blanco, and then once you're on the platform, 
you can interface with other users who also might have pieces that they want to swap. Is it global? Yes, it's global. So you can shop New York? Well, you, once you put your thing online, then, you know, it pops up anywhere anyone yeah. has the app or is on the website. Oh, and cool. And then, obviously, if it's an even match, then all you're paying for is a shipping fee. Right. Because you have the thing, I have the thing. Genius. You know, it works out. But this system will take some time to popularize because at the moment, it's definitely not something which is popular on people's radar at all. Well, you'll scale once all the kinks are worked out. Well, Generation Z is going to use it a lot. So I think it's just in preparation. If I have to be honest with you, I would say on a, on a large scale investment, it's a preparation for Generation Z because yeah. Generation Z will be the biggest users of circular fashion. They have no issue swapping clothes. They have no issue reselling. This is very normal for them. Right. It's as normal for them as it is for us doing your laundry, going to a normal shop to buy normal clothes. Right. Their their mind is there already. Yeah, that's so true. So might as well get the machine turning for them to adapt it into their existence over the next five years. Yeah. And and that's what that's this this whole thing is. Really We're really about. in a changing transition era, aren't we? Yes. Fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. That term got drilled into my head so much going to the World Economic Forum that, you know, again, as I said, it, it inspired the space. This thinking of the fourth industrial revolution is in my business plan, upside down, left, right, center. Well, thank you, my friend. This has been fabulous. Pleasure. I mean, the people watching alone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Unbiased Label Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, then please connect with us on social media, tell a friend, and leave a review. Please tune in next time for more conversation on fashion and culture from a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia. Until next time, stay well.